I'm Heather. And I'm Corey. And this is Movie Shelf, where we talk about movies, movie trivia, and just about anything related to pop culture. We're glad you're here. In today's episode, we're talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. We'll also chat about our picks of the week, movies coming out, and of course, we'll enjoy a side of bacon. Mmm, bacon. So before we kind of go into what we liked and didn't like about the movie, I wanted to kind of give a a quick synopsis of the movie. Okay. So this movie follows directly from the 2014 Godzilla movie. The good Godzilla movie. (laughs) The good, oh yeah, so not the 90s Not the 1998 terrible, awful Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Yeah, I don't think I've actually seen that one. Although I do know that the Wallflowers helped with the soundtrack, so I do like their version of the hero song. Uh, Yeah, the the homie was just a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so the, um, this one, like I said, follows the 2014 Godzilla film, and it focuses on a family that's intermingled with a plot to wake up all the titans, and there's like 17 titans. At normal. That they're, that the monarch group is aware of. Yeah. The monarch group is the one that's monitoring these titans, and I think we feel that they are protecting the titans, and I think the movie kind of opens with some, like, a Senate hearing trying to get the Monarch group to, I don't know if it's either just disassemble or something to get rid of the Titans. Or, yeah, or release the information that they have. Or, so, yeah, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. All right, so going back to that family that I mentioned, they lost their son um, in the 2014 Godzilla movie. Um, and so, it, of course, those events kind of broke up the family. The father, I think, became an alcoholic, and I don't know if he left the the family or if they just divorced or who knows, but he's kind of doing his own thing, and the wife and the daughter are together. Yeah, they they couldn't get over the loss of their son. Right. So that's what kind of wedged them apart to some degree or, or, or another. And it sounds like I think that they both, the husband and wife, worked for the monarch group, um, but when the husband left, you know, like I said, he's just did his own thing. And the wife is working for the monarch group, trying to develop something that can better communicate with the Titans. It feels like the mom gets wrapped up in her work and almost like this, this Thanos type of plot to awaken the Titans and reset the world to its natural order. Um, so it's kind of a grand plot, <laughs> And, um, but of course, things do not work out as planned. So this movie, one thing I find very interesting about it is that it has a huge, robust um, cast. So the father in this movie is played by Kyle Chandler, which I know there's been lots of talk. Um, In fact, they are indeed already making a Godzilla Kong movie. God versus, versus King Kong. But I know historically that's a, um, I guess a common, maybe not a common, but that's a, that's a, that's a fight like Godzilla versus King Kong. Oh, yeah, it is a, a classic Godzilla movie. So. Yeah. yeah. So I just find it interesting because Kyle Chandler was in the, um, was it the Peter Jackson King Kong, the one with Jack Black? Yeah, not not the most recent one, which is the storyline is following. He was in the the Peter Jackson one, starring uh, uh, Jack Black. Would be right. Most, yeah. And then, um, so the mom is played by Vera Farmiga, and my main thing that I know her from 
although I can't think of the movie at the moment, the name of the movie, um, but it was something with Jake Gyllenhaal where he's on a train and he's keep they keep on resetting him to try to figure out what in the world happened to the train. Yeah, I'm with you. And the, yeah, the, the name of that movie changed me as well. And um, <laughs> But I also know she was in, was it Up in the Air? Is that the George Clooney one? I think he's the one that goes to a bunch of companies to tell them that they're being laid off or fired or something like that. Okay. And okay, she, yeah. he kind of meets her in his travels and realizes that traveling life is not the same as regular home life. Um, Millie Bobby Brown, she plays the daughter in the movie. Um, we all know her from <laughs> Stranger Things. Yes. I know people were really excited to get to see her kind of in a you know big blockbuster film. And Ken Watanabe is in the film. He's reprising his role from the previous Godzilla movie where he's um, a scientist. He definitely is pro-Godzilla, um, knowing that he truly is the god and we um, of monsters, I guess. And, you know, we're just... We beckon to him. <laughs> and Sally Hawkins is also reprising her role from the 2014 Godzilla film. Um, and we, of course, know her from Shape of Water and the Paddington movies. <laughs> also in the film was Z.E. Zong. And she was playing, I guess, like a third generation Titan scientist. Um, Monarch employee. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Monarch was as old as, as her family in the film was. was, but Well, he asked her if she was second generation Monarch. And she actually said third. So True. Okay. Um, but I, I was actually excited to see her because we've... Um, I haven't seen her in a while. She was in Memoirs of a Geisha. She yeah. was in, I think, was it Shanghai Nights, I think? And, um, and Both of those have been like, quite some time ago. Yeah, this is all like early 2000s, House of Flying Daggers. She was in Hero, a film I really like. Um, and then also Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. So I feel like I haven't, I haven't seen her really since that core of her movie-making time. Um, so it was kind of nice to get to see her again. Yeah, it seemed like there was a, a rush of movies around that, you know, 2000 period, and then we haven't seen her in a while, and all of a sudden she's back. <laughs> yeah. Bradley Whitford was in the film. Charles Dance was in the film. Charles Dance, we know from Game of Thrones, he was the Lannister dad. <laughs> that, that Tyrion killed. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Middletich, um, which I think primarily we've been seeing him on the Verizon commercials, I think, or is it Team of, I don't know, it's one of those phone commercials. Um, but he, I think he does the Silicon Valley TV show, and we saw him in Tag as well. But he also, he's also another monarch person. David Strathern, which we'll get into this later, but I'm not even sure why he was in the film, but we do adore him as an actor. And then O'Shea Jackson Jr., or Ice Cube's son, also in the film. So again, the film had this huge, robust cast. So a lot of good things going into the film. So, Corey, what what did you like about the film? Uh, lots of good effects, lots of good action. Yeah. I know that there are some viewers of the movie that said, you know, eh, I'm not really, you know, it wasn't for me. I wasn't digging the, the story, you know, behind it. And I can, you know, agree that definitely to a point. But to me, this movie is like, you know, people who, who likes to get, be entertained by going to a boxing match. And you never hear anybody walking away from a boxing match saying, well, I didn't dig the story there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are different levels of entertainment and this, you know, it doesn't here is definitely the 
monster slugfest to a degree, you know, so. Yeah, it definitely had um, fantastic monster on monster action. Um, if you if you adore special effects and creature effects, this movie definitely had that. Um, Godzilla, of course, looked great. I think we got to see him go to a new level. Yeah, I don't recall seeing even in the uh, old ones. There was, of course, destruction of things, and I mean, I think they even destroyed Fenway Park. And it's like, oh, how can you destroy Fenway Park? <laughs> I love the what was the line in there? And and a little bit's gonna be a bad day to be a Red Sox fan. <laughs> oh yeah. And um, but yeah, the effects looked really great. And I think here's what I kind of um, I think here's how I kind of describe things to you that I feel like the people making the film had this idea of. We want all these fantastic creatures to awake and fight. And it's like, well, how, how do you awake them? How, you know, and then they had to create the story. Yeah. How do we get the humans to awake these creatures? (laughs) So, yeah. So the plot to get them to awaken is definitely an interesting plot because you have the wife who is working on this, um, they call it the orca. It's some sort of sound wave so i don't it's not sonar but it's some Communica- sort of sound communication thing. device of some sort yeah you know and it's being able to kind of create alpha sounds so that the titans will listen and behave or something of that sort or attack or you know things like that and she seemingly gets kidnapped when one of the monarch facilities is infiltrated by the um, I think Charles Dance, the Lannister dad guy, and later you realize, oh, she wasn't kidnapped; she's actually in cahoots. Yeah, and, and all this was planned by her to begin with. Yeah, and again, and the idea is they want to release the Titans, so the Titans will fight and destroy mankind. But again, I said like Thanos style, so it might be like half of mankind. Well, it's not so much mankind, but they they want to destroy technology and modern civilization and kind of bring Earth back to its more natural beauty. I guess you could say. Right. And um, but one because you know we're destroying all the forests, we're doing all these things, and we're actually killing the Earth. So to them, this is an attempt to save the Earth. Right. Not too uh, different from the. Day of the Earth's just still remake plot line. <laughs> We're killing the Earth, so the only real way to kill the Earth is or to save the Earth is to kill the humans that are killing uh-huh. the Earth. <laughs> and it seemed like there's been several other movies that had that that similar concept, you know, destroy the people by to, to save the Earth type type storyline. Yeah, and as I mentioned, plans obviously don't always go as planned. So one of the Titans that they awoke which became kind of an alpha titan, ended up not really being an original yeah. Earth-bound titan. Yeah, it was not yeah, an original titan to begin with. They, so. they learned that this titan really was an alien that all the titans kind of feared. So, And this alien titan didn't want to listen to the humans that were trying to control it with the sound machine. And so I think this titan basically started just destroying everything. And, um, and so of course that didn't, like I said, go according to plan. So then they had to figure out how to get rid of this alien Titan. And then of course, 
get rid of these people that are trying to control the Titans and just let the Titans be and let them go back to sleep, I guess, is the idea. Who knows? But that's where Godzilla really comes in because Godzilla needs to get rid of this alien Titan and become the alpha that he is. So because of this idea that... You know, the wife was kidnapped, so she wasn't. We thought she was a victim, but then we realized, nope, she's really a mastermind. Um, so, you know, originally Charles Dance was the villain, and then the wife became kind of the villain, and then it's really no, this alien Titan is the villain. There really just wasn't a distinguished villain for the story, and I didn't appreciate that. Um, I feel like, yeah, we could root for Godzilla, but I wasn't sure how we were wanting to fully root for him and how we were really wanting to try to fix things. Um, just because like I said, there really wasn't a true villain for the story. Well, yeah, I, I actually had no problem with that. Cause you know, life is not always simple and black and white. So you are saying life is not black and white. You love the black and white philosophy <laughs> of life. I am all about the grayscale. <laughs> Okay, okay, I got, but you know, yeah, there, there's, you, you got your. You've come a long way, Corey. <laughs> you have your human villains, but then you also have your monster villain as well. Mm-hmm. And what happened is that you got the monster villain that ended up trumping the human villains. So I, I had no problem storyline with that, with that happening. It was just surprising that with as much research as the monarch people have been doing on these titans for generations that they would not have realized that this particular Titan was not really a true Titan. Well, how did that come out then in the movie? That part I don't remember. Okay. I just feel like they uncovered some sort of ruins or something, and, and they so, realized so there was like a story. And I may need to watch it again, but you're saying that this information was even recently found out by Monarch during the movie. It seems okay. like that was the case. Okay. Because uh, otherwise, yeah. they should have known that not to awaken that particular Titan, that that's not a real Titan, you would think. It's one of those things where I know my dad has talked about this before, um, and we may have talked about it on the podcast before, that sometimes when... It's like something magical happened that shouldn't, you know, like we don't really know how to go from A to B, so we'll just magically make it happen. So it's almost like had a little bit of that feeling like, well, they're not strong enough to be the true villain, so we're going to make this other creature the true villain, and here's why. Because this creature's an alien. (laughs) Yeah, well. It's okay. We can agree to disagree. Totally fine for that. But... As we mentioned, these special effects are fantastic, really cool. So and beautiful. I'm, I mean, some of the... Some oh, yeah, the Mothra of... is so beautiful. <laughs> it's very annoying, the, you know, how things totally play out. But the Mothra is so, so pretty. And, um, and just, I think, awe-inspiring as people are watching the Mothra kind of come to life. So I mentioned before that I, I don't know why, like, David Strathairn was in the film. Because um, we do really like him. But I feel like I only saw him, like, twice. So he plays the U.S. military person in charge. And his goal number one is to kill Godzilla. And then goal number two is to say, oops, let's try to fix this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's about it. So he's an actor that we really do like. I mean, he's in one of my all-time favorite movies of Sneakers. Yeah. Sneakers. I like the River Wild. Yeah, I think we both one. adored him in um, Temple Grandin. 
Yes. Um, just definitely. because he had such a great role for that. We even liked the Alphas TV show. But his role in this film, <laughs> and it's not so much that, you know, he was kind of a jerk of a character. And it's not even, so it's not even that. It's just the fact that we saw so little of him. It's like, why did you have him? I don't know if there's supposed to be more of him to come. You know, it's kind of like, why was Rene Russo in the first Thor movie? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm detecting a pattern with you <laughs> that you have a problem with, with when good actors have small roles in movies. Yeah, it's that like, they can do so much. For you. Um, but yeah, so, and it would have been nicer if he was maybe a nicer character. I mean, he, this is an Academy Award nominated person. All right, that, 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 that's kind of, you know, a lot of people get nominated. I mean, either you're a winner or you're not. I mean, <laughs> just mentioning the that they're a, a nominee, it's like, yeah, that's all they got. You know, it's not even worth mentioning. He's a great actor, though. And <laughs> he is, he is. So why they didn't use more of him, I don't know. But I do also understand actors, it's their job, and they need to, they need to work. And so maybe it's just that. And He needed a paycheck. I think I sometimes forget about that, that I've... I've you know, I think when I think of actors, because I adore the roles that they play on the screen and the characters that they play, it's so artful. But at the same time, I have to remember it's their job. And just like I go to work every day, they need to go to work every day. Um, or at least and, you know, most I don't, of the days. It, even though he is a good actor, I don't think he's an actor that has reached the status of like getting a million dollars per TV episode or ten million dollars <laughs> for a role in a movie. You know, I, I mean, you do one of those, I mean, you can pretty much retire. You don't have to work, but yeah, you know, I'm not sure if he's at that level making that kind of income for his performance yet. Or maybe like not that how... he's not deserving of it, but yeah. All right, so what's the verdict, Corey? Does it make the movie shelf or not? Uh, I gotta admit, I'm a little on the fence on this one. I know you really, 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 really wanted to like this film. Yes, I did. And you actually do like it more than the majority of people that you've seen it with. I mean, I mean, no doubt, if I'm sitting down on the couch, turning on the TV, and it's playing on HBO, boom, I'm going straight to it. No doubt. Uh, whether it's at the level that we're going to go out and physically buy and put it on a shelf, ah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not there. I'm not sure if it's at that level, <laughs> but I did really like it. Okay, I will say that for the most part, I think I was engaged the entire time for the movie. I think there may have been moments where there was lulls, which you know, I'm I would have rather the action been continual or or something of that sort. But it does not make the movie shelf for me. And again, while the Action was beautiful, and the and the creatures looked amazing, and I think some of it perhaps held true or had that nostalgia still um, that we kind of felt even in the previous film. Some of those nods to the original Godzilla oh, films, definitely, definitely for sure. It just the plot wasn't there, and uh, you know, and I wanted it to be stronger. I wanted it to have a little bit more of a path to what the end goal was, which is how to wake up all these titans. But they woke them up in a funky way. And so, anyway, does not make the movie shelf for me. All right, so now we'll talk about our picks of the week. All right, we'll let you go first on this one. 
Well, I oh, I almost felt like you should go first, but that's okay. I'll go first. So we decided to try to think of maybe a creature film where the creature is not to be feared. Maybe you initially fear the creature, but then the creature either becomes just the good guy in general or maybe even the hero. And, and I was a little torn um, because, you know, that part of that is how to train your dragon. I just felt that we've already talked a lot about how to train your dragon. <laughs> so I didn't oh, yes. want to pick that one. But that's a great example. E.T. is an example. Iron Giant's an example. Which Shrek we've already used, I think. Yeah. is an example. Transformers is an example. Also already used. Even, like, the Alien versus Predator film is an example. Even though, technically, the, the Predators are still Predators. But I figured I'd go way back to... I don't even know when this film actually came out. Um, I know there's a new version, but I'm going way back to Peach Dragon just because I really like that film. <laughs> and so Peach Dragon is, um, oh, that little boy, I just can't remember where he's from. But anyway, Pete, the dragon is like invisible, except for to Pete. And well, it, it, it appears and it goes invisible at, at will. Right, yeah. So. He's not completely imaginary, but everyone just thinks he's imaginary. But he does affect things. You know, things happen. And then finally, he has to save the day. Like the lighthouse. And I do adore lighthouses, so. Of course, I gotta say, in either versions of that movie, whether the old or the remake, I don't think I was ever at a point where I feared the dragon at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think my other examples might be better. But again, there, there, some of them, are many of them we've already talked about. So I'm just going to give some props to Pete's Dragon. Go check it out. The, the original one. The original. I actually like the remake myself. It's not that I didn't like the remake, but I just really like the original. Understandable. So, what is your pick of the week? Which I think is a little bit better to fit in our, <laughs> in our category. Well, it, it's a so it's it's a little coincidental with uh, the timing of our making of this podcast, which uh, as of today it is June fifth, mm-hmm. and this uh, throwback movie of mine is a has a special place in my heart. Because back in 1987, on June 5th, is when this movie originally came out. And I remember begging my parents to go see this movie. And my mom, she did not want to go see this movie. She thought it was going to be like a, a slapstick parody. And she had the same fear of this movie that I was begging to go to, which is Harry and the Hendersons. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they gave in, and so me and my parents went to go see this movie. And when this movie ended, this was the only, still, the only movie ever that my mom asked to stay in the theater for the very next showing of the movie. So this must be where you get the watching the movies over and over and over again Kind of gene from, from your mom to just be able to sit and watch it one more time again. Well, it only happened the one time. And I thought it was really cool that it happened in the theater. You know, yeah, so, that's cool. And um, so it, this movie, you know, has a special place in my heart because it, it has a really strong connection between uh, me, me and uh, my mom. So Yeah. Well, that's cool. I don't think I saw it in such a, an exciting thrilling manner i probably just eventually saw it on tv or you rented it or something and but the, it know, is cute yeah. and of course in the beginning of the movie you are fearful of this creature i mean they yes. do a pretty good job making it really eerie and spooky and and scary and you know i think one of the things that my mom just fell in love with the creature was 
the the incredible facial expressions that they were able <laughs> to do on the the Bigfoot on Harry at the time because you know, there was no digital effects, so it was amazing. Um, I'm not sure what you call a puppetry or or you know either. Well, even I think though it's just the purpose, special effects of yeah, just the the mask. And yeah, makeup. Uh, I, I'm and sure everything. there was like some animatronics in the mask, whatever. But I'm not sure how they uh-huh. pull it off, but. You know, to pull off the facial experience, because surely if a man inside the mask was to grimace, you know, you're not going to get that same effect. I don't know. As much as we've watched, oh, what's the show we used to watch? The, on sci fi. Oh, uh, Face Off. Yeah, as much as we've watched Face Off, that's something that they focus on that even just with creating the makeup and the mask and everything. That some of the facial experiences come through, but. Not at this level. I think you'll need to rewatch that movie because they're not coming through at this level. Okay. Well, yeah. So, yeah, I was definitely, it's definitely really cool. It's definitely really um, cute. If you didn't catch on, this is the story of Bigfoot, in a sense, um, who's been found. Did they, did they hit him? Oh, yeah, or? yeah, yeah. They actually hit him with the car. Yeah. And, uh, and John Lithgow is kind of the patriarch of this family. Um, and he, they take in Harry, the Bigfoot. Person or creature. Thinking that it was dead, as a you know, the, and you know, the dad's a hunter. Like, oh, yeah, the the king of all trophies, right here. <laughs> and um, but he's not. He wakes up, and they have to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't dead. He was knocked unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so those are, I think, good picks. My Peach Dragon is the 1977 Peach Dragon again. Lighting the lighthouse. That's that's (laughs) well, you're a fan of lighthouses, so that's understandable. (laughs) And then, as so, we jump ten years in the future, and we get to Harry and the Hendersons with your 1987 pick. And um, I think those are both super good, fun classics. At this movie, there were at least two. There were lots of trailers, but there were two trailers that we saw that we haven't gotten to see in the theater yet, so we haven't gotten to talk about yet. So we wanted to make sure and talk about them now. First one that we have not talked about yet is Terminator Dark Fate. All right. So this one, it looks really good. I'm hopeful. Hopeful that it'll be good. I can't remember. It was it, Is it actually directed by James Cameron? I think he did come back for this one. So it brings back James Cameron with Linda Hamilton. Yeah, much older now, Linda Hamilton. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, based on when the last, you know, Terminator movies were, but she's just her age that she is now. And you see, in the preview, you see these two women, um, I think they're just driving on the highway, they're being attacked by another vehicle, in a sense, which is basically the the nanotech version, it looked like, of the T-1000. Well, uh, it's kind of like that the Terminator, the, the bad Terminator in this one, it's similar to the one of the ones in the other movie to where it had a, an, an internal skeleton, but then the, the flesh thing and everything was all the liquid metal mm, okay. one. And the, the little like that the liquid metal one could like separate from the endoskeleton one and the, it can be like two Terminators right. at the same time. So that's, so it's like, it's like, yeah, so it's like the original Terminator, what we you know without the flesh and everything with the, the, the skeletal one. And then it kind of fleshed out with the liquid metal T-1000 type one. And then in one term, we get the, the endoskeleton, the liquid could separate and be like, kind of like a double threat. Yeah. So basically like a super Terminator. And you, even in the preview right there from the beginning, 
of the two women, you realize one of them is more than meets the eye because she almost, she basically seems like she herself is a Terminator, but she often says that she's human. So I'm not sure really her backstory and what's going on with her, if might she's an actual like Terminator a, or she's a cyborg. Well, it might, yeah, it might be like a, an Alita light, a, right. an Alita battle angel type Terminator, you know, so... Where the brain is so human, maybe. but Right. You know. And you see these two, they're trying to fight this bad Terminator, the Super Terminator. And then coming in in fabulous style is Linda Hamilton um, as Sarah Connor. Yeah. Grandma Hamilton. Well, we don't know if she's a grandma. <laughs> she looks like one. <laughs> and... At some point, at the very, I think, end scene of the, the preview, you see them approaching the classic Schwarzenegger Terminator. Yeah, Grandpa well, Terminator. I would say the classic <laughs> Schwarzenegger, and I can only assume he is, is indeed a Terminator. <laughs> a very old-looking Terminator. Yes, with gray hair. But still very fit-looking. So, yeah, plot-wise, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. It yeah, we definitely have no looks idea good. if John Connor is involved in this movie or not. So, it is very puzzling exactly what the story is supposed to be like. So. Right, and I'm not sure exactly where where it's coming in on the timeline. I, I think I heard that it's kind of assuming a couple of Terminator movies weren't made. So, why <laughs> kill Mom now? John Connor's already been born and off on his own. Well, it doesn't so. look like it's after the Mom. It just looks like the Mom's... Yeah. Check, you know, keeping things in check still. So we're not sure what's happening. Yeah. It just looks good. The quality looks good. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping it'll be fun and, um, and just, yeah, really good. So the next movie on our list is It Chapter 2. Yes. So we had seen the preview before, but this was the first time we had seen it in the theater. And of course it looks creepy. And oh, yes. I think the the preview we saw is just the one where you have, I believe, the Jessica Chastain character um, kind of returning to her childhood home, only to realize she's probably talking to a dead woman. I don't know. And who's ultimately the clown person. So well, I believe she's the daughter of the original Pennywise the Clown. Yeah. So, something funky. Yeah. So anyway, so definitely, definitely creepy. And we shall see where the story will really take us. Well, if it follows the original story at all, you know, the, the, the original It miniseries, it jumps back and forth mm-hmm. between the when the main cast were kids and when they were adults. So the series is taking it one at a time. It shows everything as the kids and it's just now showing everything as the adults. So. At least that's what we're assuming. Yeah. We'll see how it really plays out. Sure. But we are looking forward to those films. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And now it is time for a side of bacon. Mm, bacon. Our bacon for this episode, we were connecting Adrian Brody to Michael Caine. And I believe Corey and I both were able to get this into two movies. Yes. Okay. So I was actually, I was kind of bummed on mine only because I was using movies that I had just talked about in the previous episode. And so I am connecting Adrian Brody to Mark Ruffalo in The Brothers Bloom, which is the whole reason why I picked Adrian Brody in to begin with. Which I don't think I have seen. So no, I don't I'm think you've seen it. That one. I think I showed you one scene, and that's when she did the magic trick. And I am connecting Mark Ruffalo to Michael Caine in Now You See Me. Of course. Yes. A movie that I do like. <laughs> well, again, magic tricks. Yes. <laughs> All right, so what is your connection? 
Well, I too am using Now You See Me, uh, connecting Michael Caine to Jesse Eisenberg. Okay. Okay. And then connecting Jesse Eisenberg to Adrian Brody in The Village, which was one of Jesse Eisenberg's first movies. Oh, sneaky, sneaky. I did not know he was in that. But I've, I haven't seen The Village in a long time. So I probably, when I saw it, I wasn't thinking Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, yeah, neither one. I, I would, you know, he was not on my radar. But then looking back, like, on. oh, my gosh, that, that's, that's you know, him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he popped on my radar until Facebook. Or the, not the Facebook, but um, social network. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, two good twosies. So I don't know. I don't know if I get to win or if you get to win, but... Maybe we just both win. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll not put one over the other on that one. Okay, Corey, what's your bacon for this episode? Okay, well, I hate pre being predictable. <laughs> I don't like the fact that you're able to predict who my bacon choice was going to be for this episode. So I'm swapping out at the last second. And I'm going to pull from the main movie. And I do adore this actor. And I'm going to pick Ken Watanabe. <laughs> okay, well... I almost want to pick your original one then, because I feel like it'd be a better and more fun connection. Okay. Um, well, so you can do that if you like. I'll go with what your original one was that I already had guessed, which is John Lithgow, which I'm pulling from Harry and the Hendersons. Which I became an instant fan of as a little kid from that movie, of course. <laughs> so one thing about John Lithgow, I adored, I think it was when he started doing the Third Rock from the Sun TV show. And which I have not seen a single episode how of. How did you miss that boat? Um. <laughs> but also adore one of the other actors in that way. He was the... Uh, he was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But, yeah. but I didn't come to appreciate him until after he started making movies. Because I, again, really didn't catch the uh, TV show. So I, I feel like it was in that show where um, they may have gotten an Emmy or something. So I think it was like an awards kind of ceremony speech. And he was saying that something to the effect that he discovered... For the way to become successful in acting, or for at least for him to be successful and happy in acting, is to stop taking himself so seriously. <laughs> Which, in Third Rock from the Sun, he is definitely a quirky, quirky person. Yeah, definitely not a serious show by any means. Yeah, not like serious John Lithgow in the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we have Ken Watanabe, who we do adore. Last Samurai, yeah. Batman Begins, yeah. Do adore Ken Watanabe. So Ken Watanabe to John Lithgow. Definitely, definitely no easy five-second connection there. I don't think so. Yeah, so that that's, that was definitely going to take some thought. Thanks for listening to Movie Shelf. And if you would, hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening on your Apple device, give us a rating and leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to check our show notes for links um, to the movies that we talked about and, of course, our bacon trivia notes. We'll catch you next time, you guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.